hello and welcome to Biopod, the official podcast for the School of Biological Sciences here at the University of Edinburgh. I'm Severina, and today I am thrilled to introduce the second episode from our podcast series on advice for PhD students. In this episode, we have Liz Gabardil chatting with Lizzie Wadsworth, a teaching fellow at Royal Holloway, University London. Together they discuss Lizzie's own PhD journey, the fascinating career path she chose after graduation, and what is her valuable advice for PhD students as a former student turned teacher. So now, over to you, Liz. So today I'm talking to Dr. Lizzie Wadsworth, um, who recently graduated from the University of Edinburgh in 2020. Hi, Lizzie. It's fantastic to have you on. Thank you very much for being here. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So first of all, could you tell us a bit about your general PhD experience that you had here? Yeah, so my PhD was like many people, it took like the full four years to get everything done. Uh, so that was between 2016 and 2020. So I only had the last six months of it were in the pandemic, but the rest of it was in the lab. It was a very, I'd say, mixed experience. My research is, was a mix of uh, bioinformatics and wet lab. So that was always uh, a bit of variety. And, and I did have the chance to get to go to some conferences, which was really fun. Uh, and yeah, I think the best part of my PhD experience was definitely the people I was around. I had a really good cohort of PhD students that started at the same time as me. And I had a lovely lab group and I was just surrounded by really cool people the whole time. And I think that makes a really big difference. That's good to hear. So your cohort, was that um, from the program or was it just people you met through the lab or through sort of being around at the university? So it was from my uh, department. So I was in the infection and um, immunology research department. And there were six of us that all started at the same time. That's what I mean by my cohort. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of stuck together a bit, did you? Yeah. We met in sometime in the first months. And from then we were um, close all the way through. <laughs> That's great. So now what are you doing after you've finished your PhD? So now I work as a teaching fellow at Royal Holloway University. So this is a teaching only position. A lot, not a lot of people actually know these exist, but um, it's becoming more and more of a thing, especially as more people go to university. And especially with the fees being high, there's a real demand for like good teaching. So I think it's much more common to have this, these roles to take on the earlier years of undergraduate, which is the more general stuff anyway. So what I work for specifically is I'm working on a what's called a foundation year. So it's for students who don't, didn't get the grades to go straight into first year. Uh, it's actually kind of the equivalent of the first year in Scotland because the England degrees are shorter. And it's to give those those people who wouldn't otherwise be able to come to the university a bit of extra support. Uh, and then we pass them on and they do their degree as normal. So I work just with these students, which is really good fun. And the subjects I teach are actually, even though my background is obviously in, in biology, at the moment I'm teaching computer science. Uh, so I teach on co courses on computer science and maths, but we are expanding and we're getting some biology students next year, which I'm really excited about. That's really exciting. So you've been doing that for a year or two now, is that right? Yeah, so it'll be like a year and a half now. I started just as my PhD finished, so um, at the start of 
start of the academic year 2020. And how are you finding it? I absolutely love it as a job. I really love teaching. I love being around the students. Uh, they tell you the funniest stories. And I really love that kind of supportive role. Uh, I still get to be like kind of connected and to science. And there's a lot of scope for creativity because you're always thinking of like quiz questions and writing exams and writing new material. So it's very creative. And it is becoming a, it is becoming a quite established career route. Uh, so you can get promoted all the way up to professor on a teaching only strand. What you tend to do is you teach and then you do a bit of scholarship, which is uh, about improving teaching and research into teaching skills and that kind of thing. So it is becoming uh, an alternative career route to go alongside the traditional like research and teaching lectures. Oh, that's really interesting to hear. So do you have you started doing any any sort of research out on teaching? I haven't started yet. I've been doing a, a teaching course to get some accreditation, which you do on the side. Most universities will uh, have their own uh, programs to help give you some more information for that. But I've got some ideas of what I want to do in the future, mostly focusing on how how we design um, our curriculums and how we run our programs, how that affects student mental health and well-being. And obviously, if you've got healthier um if you've got healthier, happier students, you're going to get better learning outcomes. So uh, joining all of that stuff together. So I think the first thing I'm focusing on is trying to um, improve, increase the use of things like, uh, so I use a calendar scheduling app, which students can use to book one-to-one -one supports with me. And I find that really increases the amount of students that ask for one-to-one -one support compared to the traditional like office hour. So that's kind of an example of like where I'm going or thinking of going with this very early days but yeah that sounds really interesting so would you say that's kind of what you're where you're seeing yourself in the future as well to stick to this uh, teaching only career track yeah definitely I think it feels it just feels right for me so I think at the moment at least you never know what what happens or what else comes up but um at the moment I'm really happy where I am and I'm really happy seeing where this is going to go and it is a um kind of a niche that uh there is a lot of scope for, say, if my job wasn't to continue where I am, I should be able to get a similar job at a different university. Yeah, that sounds good, which is maybe a bit different to sort of traditional academic roles. So looking back a bit, when during your PhD did you start thinking about your career and about the sort of which path you wanted to go into? So I actually started really early. I've always been quite career minded anyway. Um, but within the first months, I was starting to already get an inkling that um, as much as I was doing research for the PhD, research, the whole research lab culture, running your own lab, helping people with their experiments and stuff. I didn't, I wasn't feeling a connection to that. So I was already starting to think this was maybe not the right career for me, which put me in a bit of a kind of crisis within like the first month I was like what am I doing here what um where am I going with this and I actually went to the career service I think it was in the first term of first year because you can oh, wow. go to the career service just for advice at any point I'd use them during my undergrad so I was just already familiar with them and I definitely recommend just going to chat to them because they could help me came up with some ideas one thing I was always curious about was genetic counseling that's another route which is again a mix of science but more like communication and support and then I ended up getting some teaching experience and realized I absolutely love teaching and 
from then it was trying to pick up as many teaching jobs as I could balance with my uh, with my research to get all the skills to get where I am. Cool. And those teaching jobs, was that mainly sort of demonstrating um, or, or tutoring or did you do anything that's kind of uh, outside the normal, the normal things that PhD students do? Uh, so I did a whole mix and I did do some that were outside uh, what the normal students, um, uh, most PhD students realize are opportunities. Uh, one thing I did, one of the first things I did actually was I volunteered with Daniel Barker, who runs the bioinformatics in schools program so you uh, that's like these day workshops where you take in a bunch of raspberry pies into schools and you're teaching students how to do like blast searches and things like that which is really cool and then I did some demonstrating as well and then I actually got the opportunity to um got the opportunity to go and teach at a summer school in Saudi Arabia for three weeks in the summer uh which was fantastic and I got to um design so as a biochemistry tutor I got given 17 students I did not have much experience with teaching at this point and I had to design the entire course so I had to come up with all the material lab sessions computer sessions and then prep them for doing like this little assessment at the end and then write upload the reports which was really it was a steep learning curve but um I was surrounded by um there was about 10 to 15 other tutors who all had different classes so I learned a lot of them in the first couple of days of like getting all their tips and trips and really like what learned on the job uh, but what I found was even though that was three weeks which is not a long time the improvement I saw in some of the students from the start to the end especially just in confidence was absolutely incredible so if you can see that in three weeks you can imagine what you get to see like when you're teaching the same students for a whole year and is, is that something that you find very rewarding about about what you do now is to see how students improve and sort of that you can have an impact on their lives? Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's amazing to watch, especially because because uh, I run this programming module and a lot of students have never done any computer programming before. Uh, this is based in Python and you get these students that have never done it, never tried it, have no idea what it is. And. Uh, about eight weeks in they start to just be like doing their own debugging and figuring stuff out and you barely even have to tell them anything anymore you make a suggestion and then the next class they've already like done it and yeah it's really cool to see that's that's fantastic yeah okay so bringing it back to the um, PhD experience a bit I think a lot of people slightly struggle with this I was wondering if if you have any tips on how to have a good relationship with your supervisor and how to sort of communicate with your supervisor in the most efficient way. Yeah, I think this is a this is a really hard one because it's very individual depending on who your supervisor is. If any of you haven't chosen your supervisor yet, especially those of the students that do things like the Welcome Trust um, four-year programs are at real advantage here because you get to see the working style of different supervisors up close but when applying I think it's definitely uh, making sure you've got a supervisor who's responsive to emails who seems to want you there that if you speak to their lab without them and get an idea um, but once you're actually in program I think it's just you've just got to try and be honest because a lot of the time I've I mean I personally felt a lot of pressure coming from my supervisors to make progress all the time so uh, whenever anything was happening, it's really hard. But like even in some like personal circumstances, sometimes you just have to be like, this has happened or 
like even if it's something like uh, I'm just a bit heartbroken or something like this happened and then they I found that they do when they understand your circumstances they can release that pressure a bit so I think it's about really just trying to be honest and having that open communication but it is really difficult and nerve-wracking and not all supervisors respond the same way so that's very true yeah uh, you mentioned that for for people who are in a in a sort of program where you do rotations there are certain things that you can do to get to know your supervisor and see who you might work well with do you have any any advice or ideas for people who are sort of applying to supervisors directly who are like cold emailing or maybe saw an advertised position yeah, so I um I went straight to to my supervisors. That's uh, was my route in, and yeah, I was just cold emailing a bunch of different people, kind of anyone that was working on had anything advertised in Trepanosomes, and um I had this project was co supervised by two supervisors, and I think when you're emailing, you really have to have a question or a couple questions. That aren't they don't have to be crazy technical but just something that shows that you've done a little bit of reading into what the project actually is I think that can be really helpful and uh, yeah when I emailed both my supervisors and they both responded with these answers to the questions and then that formed a bit of a conversation and in fact they then said um, they'd actually be interested in me applying which was really useful for me and yeah so that curse kind of felt quite natural they felt quite easy to talk to even from the start Uh, which is good and um, yeah if you're emailing a supervisor and they absolutely don't respond to you at all there are possibilities that they already have someone in mind for that project so that can be it's not always they can just be really busy but that can also be an indication that it's maybe the opportunity is not as open as you might have thought and it might be worth concentrating elsewhere. Yeah and I think if if someone's not replying to you even if it's just because they're busy it might not be the best working relationship with a supervisor either if they just mm-hmm. tend to never reply to emails and be a bit difficult to communicate with. So yeah, I think I think that's some great advice for anyone who's in the in the process of applying for PhDs. Now, when when you were doing your PhD, I think a lot of people struggle with uh, how to manage their workload and how to have find sort of a work life balance. So how did you how did you try to attack that? Did you have any sort of plans or schedules in place to help you with that not I didn't do this overly well so it's kind of um I'm not the best person to talk to because at some points I just had a um quite an unhealthy working uh, mode I guess um like I would stay in the lab long hours just to kind of feel like I was doing something and uh, work in the weekends when I didn't need to and I really didn't have that uh, kind of balance one thing I did do pretty much all the way through the PhD, which was really helpful, was I just had a, um, having a hobby, I think is really important, really useful. It's good for your um, well-being and it's good for just completely getting your mind off things. So I went to Spanish class. Uh, there's a cafe called Learn and El Patio that's in Edinburgh and they do group Spanish classes. So I used to go there for two hours every week. And um, yeah, and that really helped me just completely shut out everything and at least like even if I was working late on the other evenings like that one evening I'd have to leave because I had my Spanish class so I think having something in place that you do regularly is um really handy yeah that's great I didn't know this existed I'll have to check that out so did you feel that there was any pressure from your supervisors to work certain hours or for you was it more sort of 
self-imposed thing which I know can also happen very frequently yeah no for me it was definitely self-imposed I definitely felt pressure from my supervisors to get work done but not to be working in the evenings or at the weekends but I just uh yeah it was kind of self-imposed and it was a lot of wanting to hide up hide your mistakes as well like if you ran an experiment and it didn't work just wanting to stay all night and do it again rather than having to explain to your supervisor that it didn't work or something so it was yeah it was self-imposed and I think more communication with my supervisor could have maybe pushed me in a more uh, helpful direction there yeah that's good to know so communication can never hurt really so did you ever encounter some difficulties with your your PhD or maybe not with the actual work but during your PhD project and what did you do to sort of deal with it did you go to anyone for advice or did you try to work it out on your own yeah so like many PhD students unfortunately this is something that's really common for a variety of reasons but I struggled quite a lot with depression during my PhD so this started in it started in the first year and because it like gradually got worse over time in the first year I found it just being able to manage by talking a lot with um, some close friends and then uh, that's when I first started at hobbies and doing that kind of thing on the side that was really keeping my mind clear and keeping me focused however I kind of because I've known people I've been a support to people uh, both friends and family in the past that have had mental health issues I kind of dismissed it in myself because it's always easy to just think like especially when you have good days and bad days on good days it's really easy to be like oh I'm just I'm fine like it's not I'm just being over dramatic um there's nothing really going going on uh it's nowhere near as bad as what these other people have had to deal with so yeah so I I kind of let it get a lot worse than I should have done and in in my third year I think that's when I finally I went to the GP and I got some antidepressants and that helped and I also in fact just getting a a prescription of antidepressants I thought it was both a validation for me because I thought it would be a real like fight because I didn't feel like I was bad enough but when I went to the GP I think it was about five minutes and then she was like oh yeah I'll give you some antidepressants for that like you fit like all the boxes Um, and then I actually found it easier to tell people like when I was telling my supervisors I found it easier to just say like I'm on antidepressants than I have depression which is a really like weird thing but I think again because that gave me the extra validation that I was in a bad place and I needed uh, some more support so I took uh, antidepressants for a while uh, because something else um, I had like this unrelated I ended up coming off them for an unrelated reason it's because I was I had a really bad throat infection I suddenly couldn't swallow anything but um at that point I was already like a bit better of being able to manage my emotions one thing that really stood out is um when I was on antidepressants um before I was on antidepressants I used to have these horrible stomach cramps all the time like I had it diagnosed as IBS and I was trying all like these different foods to try and manage and not set off my stomach but I was just getting these really bad tummy aches and then when I came when I went on the antidepressants that's one of the first things that just went away I didn't even realize I just wasn't having tummy aches anymore and then when I came off them again one day I was just like oh I have a tummy ache <laughs> like 
and then I think so just being on the antidepressants kind of made me notice my own the own signs within my body like when I my tummy starts to hurt it's just like oh that means I'm getting too stressed and I need to go and go away and stop things so even though I'm not on them anymore that experience was really useful for getting me to notice my own body if that makes sense and notice my own signs and manage myself better so I think reaching out at that point was really really key that's really that's really interesting to hear thank you so much for sharing that um what would you say so you said going to the GP was really helpful was Mm -hmm. there any was it friends that encouraged you to do that did you sort of get any outside advice or was this really just an internal decision to say oh I really I really need to sort this out and I really need to get some help from from a sort of GP so yeah that was one friend who I was uh, doing the PhD with who I spoke to about it and um that was really helpful and um yeah I think it was kind of a just like uh, an internal thing I was like I knew I needed to do that but that's because I already knew quite a lot about mental health anyway um having supported people in the past so my experiences from that came forward but um having someone one of my close friends who I spoke to about this kind of before I went and like as I went after I went and stuff and I think that was really helpful that's good to know so what would you say if you if if you have a friend or maybe you know if you see that someone is struggling what would you say is something that other people in their in their surroundings can do to to help them and to sort of try and support them in any way they can I think just being there for them just being and um, talking to them listening to them um I definitely recommend anyone who's interested to read more into this. I actually did also during my PhD in Edinburgh, I did a um, two day mental health first aid course mm-hmm. um, because because it's something that was important to me because of friends and family anyway. And I think reading up on how to support people and just learning more about different mental health illnesses, I think can be really, really useful. Uh, so one thing, one of the first things I teach you is like mental health is a complete spectrum you can have poor mental health with a no mental health illness and you can have a mental health illness and have good mental health. Everyone can stop and look after their mental health because everyone has one. And even if you don't fit all the criteria to be diagnosed with something, that doesn't mean you don't have a reason to like go away, get yourself some help, do some self-care and, and improve things. So yeah, I think definitely reading more about it uh, knowing the signs and just being there for people and say if if you notice a change in behavior so it's like if someone usually messages a lot and then suddenly they're not talking as much anymore then trying to reach out like at that point yeah I think that's very useful advice to have for anyone really right whether you're a PhD student or not mm-hmm. it's something that anyone can deal with so finally I would say in terms of you know the PhD struggle or the PhD journey let's let's put a more positive spin for it there are there I think there are many different things that people struggle with and that people would like to hear advice from but are there any sort of key points that you'd say you'd have as a takeaway from your PhD any key tips you would give along to a new PhD student I think I've been thinking about this and I think I would say um if something doesn't feel right just take a step back like if you have to tell your supervisors you need a week to think you need a week to go away and do some reading or maybe even you just take a week vacation and clear your head and try and think like what am I not what is wrong with 
this what is either making you feel bad or what is wrong with your project or what would you rather be doing um so for me for instance I really I'm much more enjoyed the programming side of things and the web lab side of things and I kind of wish I'd pushed that more to just basically change my project into something more programming based from the start COVID did that for me at the end but um yeah if something doesn't feel right I say really just take some time and really think about it you don't have to just continue 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 um I think taking a week out if you need it can be really valuable that's great well thank you very much Lizzie for sitting down with us and talking about all of this uh, it's really great to hear from you from someone who's sort of gone through it all and come out the other side uh, yeah so thanks again thanks for having me on I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found some helpful PhD life advice in Lizzie's words, as well as reassurance in her sincere testimony. You can listen to the first episode from the PhD advice series with Harriet Harris, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Biopod Edinburgh. Otherwise, enjoy your day and see you next time.